You can turn in your Bibles over to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We'll eventually get over to there. There was a man who walked through a cemetery on his way home one night, unaware that they had, they had dug a new grave. The grave was right in his path and he stumbled into it. He tried and tried and tried. He leaped. He climbed. He did everything he could do, but he could not get out of the seven-foot-deep hole that he was in. So after about an hour, he finally gave up and just settled in and figured that he was going to be there for the night. Lo and behold, a hunter was out that night hunting for a possum. And he stumbled into the same hole. And he tried as desperately as the first man tried to get out. And he just couldn't. Jumped and leaped. And the first man watched him for a little while. And then after a bit, he decided to, uh, to put his hand on his shoulder and it says, you can't get out of here. But the man did. It'll hit you in a little bit. Yes, the man did. I don't know what would you do if you were in a grave in the middle of the night and somebody put their hand on your shoulder and said, you can't get out of here. Last week, we were looking at some things that are, are really, I, I kind of summarized them for you here this time, the path of a doubter. Just as the path of, a, of this man walked him into a, in a certain hole, the path of a doubter will get you into a hole every time. The path of a doubter will get you into the hole every time. Now, last week, I, I let you know ahead of time that God woke me up early and gave me some of the, the principles that were in that. And we brought them on out here for you. And I wanted you to be able to get a hold for those who weren't here. We were missing a lot of folks last week. And wanted you to be able to get hold of of those things, so we got it posted up there as quickly as we could for you to have that. But in order for us to go on further, we need to just review a few of these things, and even going back a few more, few more weeks. This week, as I was contemplating, I had an idea, even after last week, of where we needed to go to make those principles more enlightening, more understanding. And so I pressed in the guy says, God, I need revelation in this area in order to be able to do that, and it didn't come all week. But that's okay. I'm, I'm used to that. It'll, usually, it'll get here by Sunday. I don't need it until Sunday. But I was praying there this morning and it still wasn't coming. And so, you know, you just, well, then which way are we going to go? Go this way. Oh, all right. So we're going this way. We're still in the same line of things. We're just, uh, we're hitting something a little bit different this time than before. And you'll see how, why in a bit, in just a bit. But we need to, need to catch you up on some things. That a number of weeks ago, we looked at two people or two groups, one individual, one group in the Word of God. One, one was Peter and one was Israel. Because we've been talking about how we can become victorious as a doubter. That we need to learn to doubt the right things and believe the right things. That we don't need to necessarily stop doubting. We need to stop doubting the things of God. How do we become a, a, a person who does not doubt the things of God? And we doubt the things of the world because too often Christians believe the things of the world. So we looked at Peter and we looked at Israel because Peter was told by Jesus. Actually, he told all the disciples, you all will betray me this night. And, and Peter said, oh, no, 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 not me. Mm -mm. No, not me. I will not know all these. I understand these other guys, especially John. I understand all these other guys might be true. Not me. No, 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 not me. And so Jesus told him, he gave him specific revelation. He said, Peter, not only will you, but you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And again, Peter denied it. 
fervently. And so we see from Peter's words that he was doing what Mark chapter 11 told us to do. I mean, he was speaking to the mountain, wasn't he? We don't sense, and there's any doubt in Peter that what he was saying was true. But yet we have it that Peter still denied Christ. It didn't work, did it? Have you ever had it where you spoken to your mountain and it didn't work? Well, that happens sometimes. It seems. Israel was another one. Israel had gone up into the promised land and they sent the spies and the spies came back, gave the bad report. And so they decided not to go in. And so God says, all right, I'm done with all you guys. You've uh, rebelled too many times. So from, from this point on, it's your kids that are going to go in. You're all going to die. You're going to wander out in the wilderness. So they decided to have a change of heart. And the next day they decided, we're going to go in. And Moses said, no, don't go in. You're, it's not going to work. No, 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 we will go in. We will go in and conquer. We, and they said all the right things, but they went on in and they lost. And so those are just two examples of people who said things, but it didn't work. Their confession, confession didn't work. So what do you do? Is that for me? All right. <laughs> it's nicely and brightly colored so I can see. So we took a look at these two particular individuals, Peter and Israel. And we saw that there were some common components to these guys. The first one was a hardness of heart. Now, if you were, weren't here before, it was in the previous outlines, but if you weren't here, it's up there on the internet. You can just download the outlines if you want to. First, there was a hardness of hearts. Peter's heart was hard when Jesus told him, you will deny me. No, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not receiving that. No. Mm. Israel was hard when they were told you can go into the land. They were hard to that. And then they were told, no, you can't go into the land. They were hard to that. They always seem to be hard to the wrong things. Hardness of heart. Resistance to the truth of the word. Even though Jesus spoke the word to Peter, was he resistant to it? There was a denial of facts, faults, and weaknesses in themselves. Israel and Peter both were denying the facts, the faults, and the weaknesses in themselves. And then fourth, there was a doubting of God's power and promises. These were the common components in these things. But last week, we expanded this a little bit further, and we, want, we looked at the, the path of the doubter. I didn't call it that last week. calling it that this way, this way, this week. And we saw, we looked at seven different examples of people in the Word of God who started out good but ended up bad. They started out believers in the things of God but ended up to be doubters of the things of God. And so after we looked at the seven examples of it, we then went on through and we saw some common characteristics that were true for all seven and then even threw out two more to you and then challenged you to go back in the Word of God and find some others because there's plenty more where that came from. That these five characteristics were common with all of them. It is a progression of characteristics. There is a progression of characteristics. It starts at the first and it works its way to the last. This is a progression that is there. And these are the things that we had, had given you. And after we gave you the five characteristics, we then show you in the Word of God where it teaches that these things are associated. But then the question was obvious to come up. Why are these characteristics associated with doubting? Because they seemingly have nothing to do with it. So are you ready for the five characteristics again? The first one was critical of others. The second was judge their motives without talking to them. The third was blame others for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings. Now, you can't write this all in your outline because I gave you only room on your room on your outline for the shortened version, which I'll give you in just a moment. 
But I wanted to give you the long version first. And, and, you know, I had more, again, I had more notes for you, but I had to cut stuff because there's only two pages. So I cut what I could, but it was, I wanted you to have at least something in there for this, for those who weren't here and didn't get up on the internet to, to listen to that. So this is the long version, critical of others, judge their motives without talking to them, blame others for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings, four, justify their own actions to those not involved, and five, recruit allies. These are the five things. I broke it down to you easier to remember with these five simple things. First, criticize. Second, judge. Third, incriminate. I'll give these to you again. But criticize, judge, incriminate, self-justify, and recruit. Those are the five things. Now, here's our examples again. We started out with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, were they not first off critical of the plan of God? When Satan came in and said, has God really said? And then he challenges them and he says, no, but God knows that in the day that you eat of that tree, you will have knowledge of both good and evil being like God. And so immediately they began to entertain the thought and began to become critical of the plan of God. Why did God not plan on us having a knowledge of good and evil? When they saw that the tree was desirous to make one wise and it had good food they took of it and ate right so they became critical of the plan of god they judged god god's motives before they ever talked to him didn't they they didn't just say you know what serpent hold on let me go check with god on that let me find out if that's really what's up and i'll get back to you on this thing they didn't do that did they they judged the motives without talking to god then that when god confronts them on it what do they do they blame others. They're going around and incriminating other people. Come to Adam. Adam, the Jew. Well, the woman you gave me. <laughs> well, my fault. Hers. I mean, that woman. I didn't ask for one. You know, you just gave me one. So he comes to the woman and said, is this true? Well, the serpent deceived me. It's not my fault. I mean, <laughs> I was going to find the serpent. Stage three. Blame others. Justify our own actions to those not involved. We don't see that as much in the Adam and Eve story, but we saw it in some of the other ones. Again, it's a progression. It starts at the top and it works its way down. We saw that Saul, when he fell, he's one of the ones we looked at, that he became critical of the plan. Well, you were delayed, Samuel, in getting here. The, the Philistines, they were mounting an attack. Our people, they were leaving. The, your plan wasn't a good one. It shouldn't have been seven days. It should have been five and so since you were delayed and this had to be done, well, I just, I took it on myself to go ahead and sacrifice. And God didn't take that too well, did he? And then I had another episode in which God sent him on out to conquer. I want you to wipe everything out. And he brings on back some of the best of the sheep and, and so forth. And, and Saul comes on back and says, look how zealous I was for God. Look how good I did for God. And Samuel says, then what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? Oh, that, well, you know, the people. Go back and look at it. Well, the people, they wanted to keep some of the best stuff, you know, the sacrifice for God. And of course, Samuel said, God desires obedience more than sacrifice. <laughs> That's what he said. So what does is, what is Saul do? Well, he becomes critical of others. He became critical of the plan of God. He became critical of the plan of Samuel. He became critical that Samuel was late. He judged their motives. 
He blamed others for his own problems and shortcomings. He's justifying his own actions, doesn't he? And then later on, we're going to see that he takes a turn on this. And with David, with David, he sees the anointing had, had left him and he recognizes it on David. And so he becomes critical of David. He, he judged David's motives. Well, he wants to throw it. Well, he's doing, well, he's, he's judging his motives. He tries to kill him. He blamed others. He's over there with Jonathan. Jonathan, don't you understand that he stands between you and the throne? And he got so mad at one time at dinner when, when Jonathan tried to defend David, he threw a spear at his own son. Justifying her own actions to those not involved. And then Saul began to go out and began to tell other people, we need to get rid of David. And Jonathan was in that group and Jonathan pulls him aside and says, no, 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 we shouldn't be doing this. Look at all the things David did for you. And so he seems to repent of that and goes on. But then another plot is uncovered and David finds out about it and goes to Jonathan. And Jonathan says, my father wouldn't do that at all without telling me. And David said, no, he knows that you're on my side, so he's not telling you. Well, we'll find out. And so he found out. That's when the spear got thrown at him. And uh, he came on back out and told David because Saul had gone out and began to recruit people. And we saw this in the seven examples we saw. We saw the same pattern. Now, we're not going to go through all of them, just reviewing a few of them because there's other ground we want to take here today and to, to move on. But can you see the, the pattern? How many went on home and, and studied this out? Appreciate both of you on doing that. <clears throat> we call this one here today reasoning. Reasoning. I've defined reasoning for you right in the... Right from the dictionary. Reasoning is the act or process of a person who reasons. Isn't that in depth? I mean, where can you get such depth for a word been from a dictionary like that? The act or process of a person who reasons. Wow. I didn't know that. The process of forming conclusions, judgments, or inferences from facts or premises. Number three, the reasons, arguments, proofs, etc. resulting from this process. Number two, I want you to look at this in particular. The process of forming conclusions, judgments, or inferences from facts or premises. The actual Greek word for this means to reckon thoroughly, to deliberate, consider, dispute, muse, reason, or think. We get our word logic from this word. You can see it right in there. I spelled it to you for English so you can see it. We get our word logic from this Greek word. Now, we want to take a look at some things on this topic of reasoning. And I want you to go over to Mark chapter 2. But you need to keep all those other things in mind that we just went over to review. Again, our question is this. What does being critical, judging the motives of others, and so forth, have to do with becoming a doubter? with having a problem with moving mountains, getting healed, taking care of financial things, doing the, getting the promises of God to be, to be received. Because the Word of God says in Mark chapter 11, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says shall come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Now, we went over some New Testament teaching on this at the end of this lesson. We're not going to review all that. You'll have to go back and get that on your own. But that'll show you the foundation for that. In Mark chapter 2, verse 1, 
And again he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the, the bed on the paralytic was laying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So what are they doing? Reasonings. That's where that Greek word pops up. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all, so that most of the people there were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. It did say all, didn't it? Would that not include the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Does that mean that these people who were warring against Jesus at the end at one point rejoiced? It would seem that way, doesn't it? Now here in... The air here is filled with expectation. And you find that over here in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. This is the same story. That there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee and, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. In order for the presence of the Lord to be present to heal, there must not be doubt in the atmosphere, is there? There needs to be faith and belief. Because we've seen places when he was at Capernaum and they had doubt and unbelief in the atmosphere. Jesus could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. But here it says that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, we've covered this before and we've done healing series and such like that. But just to remind you, the power of the Lord is present to heal who? Them. But the, but the power of the Lord only healed him. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. But only him got healed. Because apparently they shut it down after this. Because they were reasoning they were reasoning they were filled with expectation when they came into this place they were filled with expectation oh jesus is here and things are going to happen and they were busting out of the seams you couldn't find room in the door they were all the way outside the people who came and brought a paralytic could not get into the room that's expectation that's people who came to a meeting expecting to get something we're packing this place out. I, you don't hear anybody complaining. I got no room in here. I can't even sit down. They just want to be in the room. They just want to be there. This is expect. This is people of expectation. This is where they're at. They were like that until, and this is what happens with us, folks. Until something outside of the scope of their understanding happened. When they got something that occurred outside of the scope of their understanding, it changed. And they began to reason in themselves. 
what is reasoning? It is observing facts and evidence and coming to a conclusion. Right? Right or wrong doesn't matter. It's just you take facts and evidence and you come to a conclusion. What do you do when you criticize? You take facts and evidence and come to a conclusion. Is it not the same thing? I was meditating on this and got this part on this. Criticism is based on two things. Criticism is based on two things. I couldn't come up with a third. Maybe you can think about it and come up with another. I only came up with two things that criticism is based on. What I see and what I hear. What I see, what I hear. Now, look at this. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So if Satan can corrupt the path by which faith is received, can you see how this can bring about doubt? Because what he has to do is corrupt the path. If I corrupt the pathway by which faith comes, then what is what is there in his place? Doubt. It's going to be doubt. Folks, you are filled up with one of two things. Faith or doubt or both. Remember one guy? Lord, I believe, but help my, help my unbelief. Think of it as a, a jug of water. A jug of water is either filled with water or it is filled with air. A jug is never empty. If you put water in it, then the air goes out. If you take water out of it, air goes in. So if air is likened to doubt and water is likened to faith, then if you get the faith in, the doubt goes out. So what we have to do, if you're the devil, is corrupt the way faith gets in. If we stop the water from coming in, the doubt remains. So what he has to do is corrupt the way that, that faith comes. And the way that faith comes is by... Does faith come by seeing? No. We've been spending some time on this. We found out very emphatically that Jesus says, it's not coming by seeing. You believe because you see? <laughs> I don't care about that. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. Do not see. Faith does not come by seeing. If faith does not come by seeing, then the only thing that can come by seeing is... So if criticism is allowed to come into my life, then I corrupt the only legitimate way that faith can enter in, which is by hearing. Now, how does it corrupt how I hear for faith? It's real simple. We've seen all the words already. Here in this story, they reasoned in themselves. They saw something they did not understand. How many of you in your Christian walk, in your Christian life, have ever experienced something you didn't understand? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we've all been there, haven't we? Something happened and I didn't understand it. And if you do not understand it, it is an open door for 
doubt and unbelief, distrust, all sorts of things, all that can come right on in. Open door for it. And so all we have to do is, is have something that happens that we don't understand. And I try, I try and take in understanding on this thing. One way I'm going to go about it is by what I see, which will bring in doubt, not belief, not God's kind of belief. And if I allow that to corrupt the pathway by which faith enters, then by what I hear, I'll also receive doubt. Now, how is it that I'm going to receive doubt in that? How is it that this will occur with, for me? Well, let's take a look at, at these things. Now, Jesus said to him, which is easier, saying something that you cannot see the evidence of or something you can clearly see? That's basically what he's saying. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, something you can't see, or to say pick up your, your bed and walk? He's asking them, which is easier? Which one do you think they'll say? Well, it's easier to say you're forgiven. That's easier. To say take up your bed and rise up and walk, that's a, that's a tougher thing. He's got to do something now. So he says, all right, if, if the harder thing to you, he's not saying it's the harder thing. He's saying to you, which is easier? Because they're both a piece of cake for him. He says to you, which one's easier? So he knows to say, well, to, to, to say take up your bed and rise up and walk, that's, that's, that's a harder thing to say. All right, fine. Rise, take up your bed, rise up and walk. Now, you can see this. You can't see that. What are you going to do? Well, for a while anyway, some of them rejoiced. Turn over to Matthew chapter 21. Verse 23. Now when he, had come, when he came into the temple and the chief priests and the elders and the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Quite a bit of a change of attitude from what we saw in Mark chapter 2. When they're coming into this meeting, they're excited. Jesus is here. Jesus is coming. We can't wait to see what's going to happen. Things are going to be moving. And now we come in. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? Well, there's really only two places it can be from. It's either of heaven or it's not. It's of men. And they reason among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? Because what did John say? Behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sins of the world. <laughs> why didn't you believe him then? If you say that John came as, under the authority of heaven, then you should believe what he said. And what did he say? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said to him, we do not know. Now, is it true that they did not know? What is true is that they didn't want to say. They're not saying they don't know. They're just, I don't want to say. At, by this point in the, in the Pharisees' lives, they had become very critical of Jesus. You all know this. You know the stories. Become, everything that Jesus did, they're criticizing. They're picking them up. They're trying to trip him up and things. This is just another time they're trying to trip him up and get him to go. So they've already gone into this into this thing. Understand this. Well, I'll get into that later. Don't let me forget. 
So they answered and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work in the, in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he, he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter into the kingdom of God before you. Now, here's an interesting thing. I don't know if we've always read this in this story. But look, at he comes to the first son. Picture this as a dad or as your dad coming to you as a son. Will you go into the field and work today? And you answering the dad, I will not. Picture that. What happens next? <laughs> now, now picture it this way. I want you to get the I want you to get the whole picture of what Jesus is painting here. Why would a son answer the father? I will not. He didn't say, you know, Dad, I, I'm I'm busy today. Can I do it tomorrow? He didn't say that, did he? He said, I will not. What does that indicate? Anger. He's upset. Which would tell us that the son has already gotten into a critical mode with dad. Doesn't it? Would you, would you say this to your father if you were not critical of him for something? Oh, I'm not helping you out. I don't like what you're doing with the money. You never give me any of the money. You keep it all yourself. Would you answer a father that way without being critical of something that they're doing? This is what Jesus is seeing in the Pharisees. You're critical of what I'm doing. And I say to you, go into the field and do the work. And you say, no, I will not. And then you go to the second son and you say, well, you go. And they say, say, okay, yeah, 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 sure. But then they don't go. So you got two attitudes. One who is lackadaisical and one who is resentful. And he says, harlots, tax collectors are going to get in the kingdom before you. They may not answer right away, but they will, when they eventually turn around to answer and they go and they do the will of the Father, they're going to get in before you do. For John came to you, verse 32, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe. Hear another parable. Oh boy. <laughs> How many of you say, oh yeah, come on, give me another one. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. And when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. Why would they do that? What do you have? What place do you have to get to to where you will do this? Do you not reason in your hearts? This is a lousy vineyard when we took it. It's, if it wasn't for us, nothing would be happening out here. And everything would be dead. He doesn't deserve any of this money. How dare he send someone for money? He hasn't lifted a finger. We're the ones who have done all the work. Isn't that the kind of reasoning that you begin to go through? How do you get to a place where you first meet the vineyard owner... Hi, how you doing? We would love to take over your vineyard. We have some vision for it. We can do something with it. We can make it produce money. And at the end of it, we'll give you this much. 
That's, that's, a, that's a good deal. Okay, you go ahead and take the vineyard. And after the time period, I'll come on back and collect. That's the agreement. He came back on the agreement that they had agreed to and something changed in them. What happened? Is it possible for them to get to the place where they were, where they would kill and beat the servants who would come without first becoming critical of the vine dresser, the owner, the vine dress, uh, the vineyard's owner? Can you get there? Verse 45, now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Hmm. Remember one of the principles we saw before? Hard-heartedness, resistance of truth. I mean, how many folks, you don't need to, you don't need to perceive this. It's pretty clear. Talking about you guys. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. They took him for a prophet. Meaning the Pharisees and those folks there, they did not take him for a prophet. So the question is put to Jesus. Jesus conditions, conditions his answer on them answering the question, which they refuse to do. The question is one of location. Where are you? In other words, his purpose is to identify where you are. Where are you? So I know where to deal with you. Are you at a place where you can accept that John's message was from God? Are you at a place that you can stand up in front of other people and say, John's message is from God? And they reason among themselves. If we say of God, if we say of man, that's not going to work out so good. So here's what they decided. They decided ignorance made them look better. <laughs> can you imagine that? Being in a place and you think that if we look ignorant, we'll look better. <laughs> oh, man. Now, here's the principle I told you I'd get back to. People who are hard-hearted and become critical lose interest in the truth. People who are hard-hearted and critical lose interest in the truth. If you lose interest in the truth, what will you hear? If you lose interest in the truth, what will you hear? What is untrue? What does what is untrue build up? Doubt. So now your two ways of bringing things in is one through sight, which only brings in doubt. And the other one is through hearing, which you are resistant to the truth. You've lost interest in the truth. You are more interested in how you look. You are more interested in your standing between uh, people. You have a fear of men, which is what these folks had, and not a fear of God. And so what they are bringing in is bringing doubt and unbelief. Continued. Can you handle one more? We can stop. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit. How many times do we hear that about Jesus? don't hear that very often, do you? In fact, outside of this story, I don't know that we really hear this. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Where? In his spirit. Can you hear that? But it's written. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given. Will what you see bring faith? No. 
No sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. This occurs right after the feeding of the 4,000. Not the five, the four. We already fed the 5,000 before. Now we just finished feeding the 4,000. And after doing all that, now what happened in the feeding of the 4,000? What was multiplied? Bread and fishes. It was all multiplied. All this stuff. Plenty of bread. There's lots of bread all the way around. But they forgot to take some. There's all kinds of bread here. We had leftovers. But they forgot to take it. They only had one loaf. Then he charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, you forgot to bring bread, just got done a big meeting, fed 4,000 people, 4,000 men, their wives, kids, all that sort of stuff. So you're actually much larger than 4,000 people, but just had that, had that whole thing happen. You get into the boat, you got one loaf of bread, and Jesus says to you, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. And you think, bread, I forgot to bring the bread. Do we do that? <laughs> it was the bread. I can't. I, mm, needed to bring the bread and I didn't do it. Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And we're thinking, I forgot to bring bread. How do you get that? I mean, you have to work at it. How do you get that understanding? Have you ever had this where you said something to your kids? And they, they, say, they do something. What are you doing? Well, you said, I didn't, what? I, how do you think I said that? No, no. What? Ah, this is what Jesus is hearing here. And they reasoned. What are they doing? Coming to conclusions. They're pulling information. Not necessarily a right conclusion, but they're coming to a conclusion. They're reasoning amongst themselves. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, why then do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Now, speaking of hardened hearts, are we not getting back into the principles we talked about before? And Jesus is calling our hearts hardened. All right, let's evaluate this. In this story, do you see any attitude of criticism from the disciples? Now, I didn't at first. But I went on back and I read this thing again. And I saw it. I didn't see this at first. Verse 15. Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, which means they process a lot more information, but this was the end result, right? Then they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread. That's the end result. So there's other stuff that happened before. All right, so you got Jesus. Now, we've we got to do a little demonstration here of the feeding of the 5,000. I don't know how you picture the feeding of the 5,000, but this is how I picture the feeding of the 5,000. They bring the, the stuff up to Jesus, and Jesus is up here, and he blesses it. And then Jesus takes, and he breaks it, and he gives to this disciple, and then to this disciple, and this disciple goes, and then this disciple goes, and he gives over here, and he gives over here. Is, is that the picture that you have? That Jesus is at the front? And he's giving to the disciples and the disciples are going out and they're serving the people. There are 4,000 men in the group. They all probably have brought their wives. That's 8,000. If they only brought two kids, that's 16,000 people. 
if they only brought two. And you all know the habits of these people was not to have two kids. All right? There's, they had more generally than two. But we'll be conservative on this. You know, even if we use the USA average, 2.3. We're somewhere up around 20,000 people. Twelve men are serving the bread for somewheres of around 20,000 people. Twelve guys. Break it down. How many guys do you have to, how many people do you have to serve? Per. Now, how much can you carry? So then get this picture here, guys. Jesus is up here. Jesus, he is the bread. He is overseeing the bread and the multiplying of the bread. So Jesus needs to stay here, right? And so we're given to Peter and John and James and, and all, and they're all going all over. And so they go out and they give until they're out of bread, right? And then what do you do? You go back and you get some more. And then you go and you distribute some more. And then you go back and you get some more. And this is done for 20,000 people. How far back will 20,000 people go? So you have to go all the way and then back. And then there and then back and then there and then back, and then there, and then back for 20,000 people or so. What's Jesus doing? There's just a couple more over there. Got their hands up. Peter, back there. So they got through this whole meeting of doing all this and bread, 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 bread. I thought they were tired of bread. Taking bread over here, bread over here, bread over here, bread over here, bread over here. And they get in the boat. I have bread on the mind. All they're thinking about is bread, 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 bread. And they're tired. They've been walking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Jesus has been. And so you get in there and Jesus says. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the leaven of Herod. You know how you get to the place for you. Assume that he's thinking it's because we didn't bring any bread. It's because the disciples are a little bit upset right now. We've been working our tail off. We've been going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and bread, 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 bread. You sat there the whole time and you get in this boat and you say, where's the bread? And so they're reasoning among themselves. What are they reasoning? Can you believe this guy? How hard did we work getting all that bread out there? And he sat there. He could have kept the loaf. No, no. You guys get the loaves too. You guys bring the bread. Why didn't you bring the bread? We need to eat too. Why didn't you bring the bread? Can you see where they might be critical of Jesus? And they reason among themselves. And so Jesus said to them, hard-hearted people. Why do you think I am talking about bread? Because they cannot hear. Because they've gotten into a place of criticalness. They've gotten into a place of hard-heartedness. And when they hear truth, they hear false. They can't understand it. And so instead of what they are hearing building up faith, it is building up doubt. And the doubt that it built up for them was, does this guy even care about us? How in the world can he sit there and ask us if we brought any bread I mean, that sun was hot today. I was sweating. Just collapsed in this boat. I was not thinking about bread. 
Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Understand? Is your heart still hard? Having eyes, do you not see? And ears, do not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it that you, you do not understand? How is it that you come to bread? Why do you come to something that we've obviously multiplied easily on several occasions? Why do you think that's even an issue? How is it that your mind goes to this? Because of their criticalness. Because of the way they're going to jump to conclusions. Did any of them stand up there and say, Jesus, are you picking on us for not bringing any bread? Because, you know, we were working awful hard out there. You did just sit there. People who walk the path of doubters. This is real important to understand. People who walk the path of doubters find problems and trouble in the midst of great moves of God. People who walk the path of doubters find problems and trouble in the midst of great moves of God. Look at the patterns that we hear. The first story we looked at, the Pharisees are in the building. The power of God is present to heal them. The guy gets lower down. He gets his sins forgiven and Jesus says, Arise, take up your pallet and walk. Go home. And what do they do? Reason among themselves. How does this man think he can forgive sins? The disciples get into the boat. He's picking on us for not bringing bread. The disciples or the Pharisees come to Jesus and they said, We want to see a sign from heaven. What? The dead arising? Blind people seeing? Deaf people hearing? This isn't enough for you? You want to see a, a sign from heaven? And he says in verse 15, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The disciples were not very receptive to this, were they? Because they heard it in light of their own criticism and their own fault finding with what was going on. And instead of administering faith to them, they got angry and upset. Why is it that he's picking on us for not bringing bread? They may sound critical of themselves, but they're not actually critical of their own actions for not bringing bread. They're critical of the fact that you wanted us to bring bread. Of all the things that we had to do, clean up after the meeting, serve the people, all the stuff we were doing while you sat there and you know blessed the bread and continued to multiply it. If we get into the area of criticism, and here's how the devil does it for us, folks. First off, we are right. Isn't that right? When you become critical of someone else, what are you? I'm right. In this situation, at least, I am right. The disciples are right. The Pharisees are, in their eyes, are they not right? Because they are so right, they don't need any other truth. And there's nothing to come in to build up their faith. The devil wants to get us into this pattern where we become critical of others. Judge their motives without talking to them. Blame other people all around us for our own faults and shortcomings. Because if he does this, he corrupts the vehicle by which 
God brings us faith. And if he cuts off the supply of faith, it's a piece of cake to keep you in doubt. It's easy to keep your heart your, your heart hard, which will make you resistant to any new truth that comes. And any new truth that comes to you, you don't receive it and build up your faith. You get angry and it builds up your doubts. And this is why Christians who sit down and listen to the faith message all the time are having a hard time getting healed, getting set free, getting their finances taken care of, believing God for the needs that they have, getting wisdom and revelation and understanding. It's because the devil has fallen, brought them into a path of where as soon as something happens, they criticize it, they find fault and blame with everyone else, and they're resistant to truth. They no longer care about truth. They care more about how they look in front of other people. And once he's got you in that spot, it's real easy to keep you under the weight of any sickness and disease, to keep you under the weight of any burden of poverty, any need for wisdom and revelation, any miracle at all. He has no problem keeping you under it because you don't have the strength to be removed to remove the problem because your faith is starved. You are a perpetual doubter and it's caused by a problem you never even associated with it. We told you last week the teaching from the New Testament so tied in with faith of walking in love. And Jesus, even in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, 20 through 25, began to teach people about forgiveness and about walking in love right after he taught them about speaking to mountains and praying. Because if as long as I stay in that mode of criticizing others, finding fault with others, judging people's motives without ever talking to them, talking to other people to recruit them onto my side, justifying myself to other people why I was right and why they were wrong, I am continually going down the same path and anytime new revelation comes to try and open up my eyes that look, get out from that. I don't hear it. Oh, but God wants us to get out of it. He wants us to be able to doubt the things of the world, not the things of God. As long as you feed off of the world in the area of criticism, judging others for their motives without ever talking to them, blaming others for your own faults, failures, and weaknesses, justifying your own actions to other people that are not involved and then recruiting people to be on your side. It's a progression. You don't have to go into all five. The first one, though, will undercut you. It will undercut you. Jesus had reason to find fault with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But where did he deal with it? In front of them. He dealt with them. There are some people that you will see that they have faults and they have shortcomings, but you have no ability to change it or influence it. If that's the case, don't even talk about it. Don't even entertain it in your mind. Because the devil's goal is to keep you in doubt. And one of the ways he has done this is to get your mind 
to think on things of which you are right and they are wrong. And to get your mind to begin to reason and to contemplate and to come to conclusions based on these things. It is holding you back. It will hinder you as long as it is a part of your life. But God wants you to be set free. Make sure. Don't let criticism become a part of you. Don't let it become a part. It's easy for us to criticize other believers. It's easy for us to criticize our, our job, our bosses. And here's a, here's a real easy way that it can, it can just slide in. And it just... How many times have we gone to a doctor and we didn't like their report? What do we say? How do we talk about that doctor? Are we not critical? Do we not speak things about the doctor that are not, not necessarily flattering to people who are not even involved? All right, let's go on to another one. How many want a promotion at work? How many times has your boss ever done something you didn't understand? <laughs> what is the response that we usually have? Are we not tempted to criticize to other people in the office about why that boss should never have done it? Why the boss is wrong? But yet we don't have all the facts and figures in front of us, do we? All right, we don't like that one? <laughs> hey, but people are going for a better job or a job. And you go through the job interview process and you think that the process went pretty well, but then they never call you back. What is the normal response? How many times have we gone to people who are not involved and begin to criticize the business, or the interviewer. Well, I don't like them anyway. Well, I don't think their company is going to go very far. How many times have we done that? What are we doing? I'm just, I'm just stating the facts, that's all. No, you're not. You're feeding into your doubts. What should you do? Come out of that interview, and they never call you back. The Word of God says, Rejoice in the Lord always, except when the interviewer doesn't call you back. What should you do? Did they call you back? Nope. But that's okay. Glory to God. They're going to be blessed in their business. I just thank God that they're going to go on. They're going to do things whether they hire me or whether they don't. God's just going to bless. Why would I do that? Because it feeds your faith and not your doubts. The doctor comes in and gives you a bad report. You're going to die in six months. God, you mean I get to go home in six months? Oh, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. Or we could have the response that, well, I, I understand. That's what, you're, 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 you, that's what you see. And, and uh, we just don't get upset. We just go off in there, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you. I'm going to live a long time. I'm going to live until I'm satisfied. No, no, no. You don't understand. You're going to die in six months. I heard you. I heard you. But we, we don't let it affect us. We just go on. We don't criticize the doctor. We don't put the doctor down. We don't talk about how, how much of a quack he was or how he got his license from the cracker checkbox. We just go on and we, we say good things. Why? Because I'm feeding my faith, not my doubts. When I don't get the promotion over at work and they give it to someone else, I don't go around and say, can you believe they gave it to so-and-so? They, they don't even work. I see them all the time over there. They're not working. They're just sitting there on, they're drinking their coffee, talking on the phone and playing games on the computer and they gave them the promotion. What am I doing? Feeding my doubts. Keeping me down. 
What should I be doing? Glory to God, I'm going on. I am not being moved by that. But if that job isn't for me, then there's another job out there for me and an even better boss. Glory to God, and it's coming my way. Just keep, just do what the Word of God says. Well, I did that for a week and it didn't work. No, we're not asking you to do something for a week. We're asking you to adopt, to adopt a mentality, a lifestyle, an understanding. Stop criticizing other people. Stop entertaining the thoughts in your own head. Stop reasoning in your mind why they are wrong. You know what? There doesn't need to be anything wrong with anyone else. doesn't need to be. You can still get what you need to get. God can still bless you with what He needs to bless you with. And you don't need to talk these people down. Just go on. But look at what Jesus said. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I'm sure he meant a whole lot of things in there. But one of the things that very well could be in what Jesus is teaching here is criticism is contagious. If you get around people who do nothing but criticize other believers, other people, what will you tend to do? What does leaven do? Spreads. It spreads out. As long as you get around people who are constantly criticizing others, you are going to be tempted to fall right in line with the same thing. And you're going to be going against the things of God and feeding your doubt. If your place of business makes a decision that looks bad to you, I love what... uh, Jeff and Chris used to stay when they were here. Every decision, and they named their company, they make benefits to Hickson's. No matter how it looked at first. And they had some th- situations that didn't look good. This, this does not look good for the Hickson's. But they kept on going. They kept saying that. And I'll tell you what, I talked with them. They had that attitude. They had that. They, they carried that right on through. No, nope, this is going to benefit us. And sure enough, it was you know a couple of weeks, a couple of months down the road. It benefited them greatly. But they wouldn't sit there and criticize. They wouldn't sit there and put down their bosses and they they wouldn't do it. They kept feeding their faith. You criticize these folks, all it does is feed your doubts. Yeah, our company's going down. Yeah, I'm not going to get a promotion. Yeah, I'm not going to get a job. Yeah, I'm going to die. Yeah, I'm not going to get over this. It's all it's feeding. You don't need to feed it. You don't need to feed it at all. Stand on what the Word of God says. Resist. The temptation to judge the motives of others before you've ever talked to them. To justify your actions to people who are not even involved. Don't follow the path. This is the path of a doubter in the area of criticism. And then it progresses. If you have gotten into it, glory to God, you can get out. And here's the best thing about it. If you get out of it, your heart begins to soften revelation and understanding comes when you didn't have it. New revelation and new understanding feeds your faith. And you'll be even stronger than you were before. You're even stronger than you were before. I think there's still one more thing in there. There it is. I knew there was another one. Doubters contemplate what they can stand to lose. Doubters contemplate what they can stand to lose. 
What do we mean by that? The doctor comes to you and says, you've got this, you're going to lose your arm. Want to lose both arms? No, just the one. All right, I can handle it. Doubters contemplate what they can stand to lose. Well, I can, I can handle if they reduce my salary 10%, but I just don't want to lose my job. We contemplate what we can stand to lose. Doubters contemplate what they can stand to lose. Believers, how much can be gained? You want to know where you stand on this side of the fence? What do you contemplate? What there is to be gained? Or how much you can stand to lose? If you didn't go home last time and study this out, take the seven examples we gave you, the two extra ones we threw in for extra credit, or go and find some of your others, because you'll find this pattern all over in the Word of God, repeated over and over and over. Again, it's a path. Not everybody goes all the way to the fifth, to the fifth level. It's a path. Some of them stop beforehand. But where, where are you? Criticism. Oh, it'll pull you down. It will pull you down. And sometimes we just need to get out of there and just realize, you know what? Why am I even criticizing? We can get to be such a habit that as soon as the, the first words out of our mouth after hearing some new information are critical. Oh, then we know we got an issue. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God talks about us edifying, building up each other. That's where we need to be going. That's what we need to be doing. So that we are people of faith and not doubters. Not doubters. Would you all stand up? Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. Father, we thank you for the things that you open up in our life that we get to see, that we get to understand. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory be to your name. Glory be to your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory be to your name, Father. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you for the word that you give us. We thank you for its power in our lives. That what you said, you will bring about. We believe it and we trust in you. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. 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 Father, we thank you for it.